This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your site for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I'm ready for war. I'm ready to talk about G.I. Joe Retaliation, um, and if anyone out there hasn't seen the film, you know, we it, it's, it's good that we'll be able to let them know what they're in for, mm-hmm. because knowing is half the battle. You keep saying that. It's from the cartoon! I can't remember if they said it in The Rise of Cobra or not, but it is the phrase that they would always use in those old cartoon PSAs. Oh, I hope they knew what they were making was a POS. <laughs> yes, and... That would make the whole battle a lot easier. <laughs> this is part two of episode 43 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie G.I. Joe Retaliation. So if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the movie. Again, if you don't want to be spoiled, Stop listening now and go check out part one of our episode on G.I. Joe Retaliation. We are not going to bother explaining the plot. One, because we're assuming you've seen the film. Two, because I don't know how we'd explain it. So, here's a clip. How do you do it? How do you call an airstrike? What if, can I bring? What about one of those like package thingies? I'm bleeding out, and I need you to spray. Can you use a package thingy? I can bring you one package. Who's shooting? What is? What? I'm bleeding out right there, and you. Are you crawling? Well, I'm gonna crawl to victory. That's what I'm gonna do. How could you be so good at combat? You I'm not stay good. I think you need to relax. I believe I outranked you last time. I was it's not in my house, you guys. Oh, 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 all right. Taking fire. Enemy fire. No, no. no. Enemy fire. Right. Enemy contact. All right. A thing of You have big ears. You got a big head. Come here. Returning fire. You can't scream your way out of this one. Oh, yeah, we're requesting assistance. Pin down, brother Duke. Pin down. Not the first time you sent a girl running out of the room screaming. First time I've sent two girls screaming from the room. Dude, completely inappropriate. I'm just saying. Completely. Okay, Monica. I got the impression during part one that you were very disappointed in the first part of this movie when the lead actor from the first film, Channing Tatum, he dies. He's no more. He gets blown up. May he rest in peace and come back. No, he's going to rest in pieces. Okay, that was a rocket that just went right next to him. He totally can come back. Like, they do... 
They they held Cobra Commander in a cryogenic like freezing cell. They could totally put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I guess they could. Just saying. Were you on board with the film at all until that point? Not really. A lot of the jokes between him and The Rock were kind of awkward. Really? I actually liked a lot of their banter. No. So, I liked their banter until they were saying, you know, dumb, sexist Example? Uh, when Channing Tatum was playing with The Rock's little girls, and then they run away, and he, The Rock makes a joke about, well, that's the first time you send a woman screaming out of the room. He's like, it's the first time I've made two girls run screaming from the room. And Rock's like, nah, man, that's inappropriate. I mean, the whole section is... You were offended by that? That's an offense. You're getting way too sensitive, Monica. Whoa, okay. Way to mansplain that. (laughs) You're right. I know that that is the typical man's explanation. Can you, like, cross your arms in front of the camera? Because I feel like that's how you should be delivering this news to me. I don't know. You feminists are all the same. You're so sensitive about everything. She was asking for it. Ugh. Can we, like, never sexualize children? Ever? Well, oh, come on! They were not sexualizing children. It's just awkward. It's not- Okay, so, it's not, like, super- It's not like she's asking for it, man. But it was, like, just, eh. They were joking about their past sexual exploits. At no point was it implied that okay. they're a bunch of pedophiles. Okay, no, I got that. I can follow a joke. Okay. You just don't think it was funny. I just don't think it was funny. I will admit that that joke did feel out of place with the rest of the movie. Okay, thank you. At least something. And I like when they were joking, like, on the plane, and he, Channing Tatum, had some hoorah, like, catchphrase, and The Rock was like, nah, man, you gotta do something different. I, I liked pretty much all their banner, and when they're joking about the karaoke... Yeah, the karaoke was funny. When they're having their little shooting contest, that was fun. I was surprised because I didn't think a lot of the humor in the last G.I. Joe movie really worked. And in this movie, I actually liked all of that banner. And then Channing Tatum dies, and suddenly it's not funny anymore. Yeah. It's like there is pretty much no jokes, no witty banter once Channing Tatum is gone. You take him out, you take the humor of the film along with it. Yeah, I kind of missed him once he was gone. Yeah, like, I remember, I actually, I, I, I can remember reviewing G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra on uh, the old podcast I used to host, Movie Chatter, and I can specifically remember saying that I hated Channing Tatum in that movie, that he was bland, that I didn't think this guy was a serious actor. Since that movie, he has proven me wrong, and he has proven that he actually can be a very charismatic screen presence. And in this movie, I was actually, I agree with you, I was kind of like, wait, I want more Channing Tatum. Like, why couldn't he have been that good in the first movie? (laughs) And they kill him. Then, yeah, then they kill him. Weren't they gonna, like, didn't they do rewrites or something? I thought that was why the movie was so delayed. I know they were working on 3D stuff. I think they might have done a couple rewrites. Oh, because the post-conversion looked really good. I didn't see it in 3D. Did you see it in 3D? I did. How was it? It was hardly discernible. Maybe that's why you didn't like the movie as much as I did. Yeah, it kind of looked like an eyesore. So... Duke, played by Channing Tatum, is gone. You've got pretty much a whole new cast of characters in this movie. It's almost like they're trying to pretend Rise of Cobra never happened because it was so bad. 
the only characters that really stick around are Zardan, who is impersonating the president, Cobra Commander, and Snake Eyes, who still has this feud with Storm Shadow because he thinks that Storm Shadow killed their Kung Fu master or their ninja master. I'm sorry, I, I don't. I guess there is a difference between a ninja and a, and a Kung Fu. I, think I learned this. It's Hard Master. It's Hard Hard Master. I think it's Hard Master. Okay. I thought it was Heart Master, but then I got laughed at because I think it was too girly. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> My little pony hearts. Whatever. They're, they're, they're martial arts spiritual guru trainer guy was killed and so they have this feud that ran through the first film and is now present in this movie too and that is where it feels like the movie just wants to completely forget the first film ever happened because they're completely retconning this and they're basically (laughs) saying oh no you guys have been fighting for no reason at all storm shadow didn't kill him Storm Shadow's actually a good guy. Good guy. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't, again, I am not familiar with the comics or the cartoon or the action figures or whatever, but I was just kind of like, really? Is Storm Shadow a good guy? I mean, then again, he is the one wearing white, so I guess that makes him good. No, because what does that make Snake Eyes? I don't know. Is he going to be the bad guy next movie? I don't know. <laughs> is that the big twist? That Snake Eyes is actually a bad guy like he was in the beginning of this movie, who we then found out was Storm Shadow. You hate this story. You had not seen The Rise of Cobra. No. Were you able to follow that? Yeah, I was. Because I could recognize faces. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't need no stupid names. You weren't confused. It's like, who's this black ninja following the white ninja, and what's their deal? No? Yeah, no. Okay. I know the rock is a rock, the chick is a chick, and the token guy is a token guy. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And why is John McClane in this movie? I have no idea why Bruce Willis is in this movie. <laughs> I have no idea why a lot of people are in this movie. Okay, they, they, they introduce this character named Jinx, and they just, they, they basically, she's supposed to partner up with Snake Eyes to go get Storm Shadow, and... They basically sum her all up, and they're just like, oh, by the way, she's Storm Shadow's cousin. But don't worry, she's good. Yeah, she's legit. Yeah, and that's it. And I'm like, okay, I feel like there's room for more development there. But of course, we're not going to get any. No. Why? There's too many characters. We have too much stuff going on already. Yeah. We're just finding out about The Rock's past in the second movie. The Rock wasn't in the first movie. Well, then that would explain that. Like, so so many, like, these. this is pretty much a completely new cast. And, and like, Ray Stevenson shows up as this Firefly guy. What accent did he have? I don't know. Lithuanian? It was, like, half Australian with Southern. I had no idea where the hell he was supposed to come from. It has some sort of a drawl in there. I have no idea. I from I don't remember him being in the first film, but I've blocked most of that movie from my mind, so maybe he was. I, I, I will say this, though. I like Ray Stevenson as an actor, and I thought he did have some screen presence and was a fairly compelling threat most of the time. They didn't really mm-hmm. develop him much, but yeah. I liked him when he was on screen. I thought it was nice how they sort of paired him up with The Rock, where it's like, 
each character is going to have their evil counterpart, so to speak, that they have to fight. So you've got The Rock has to fight Ray Stevenson, Snake Eyes supposedly has Storm Shadow, etc., etc. It's perfectly matched. Bullshit. <laughs> like, who lines up their chess pieces and, you know, does that in an actual battle? Like, there should be at least some inconsistency, right? It can't be that... But it's a cartoon. Good. It's a... It's a... This is a comic book. This is action It's a figures. cartoon. Wait, how many... How many good guys? Because it's... Like, if you actually start counting it, it, it starts to add up. What do you mean? How many good guys are there? Yeah. Uh, well, it starts out with a bunch, and then they all die, and there's only uh, four. So there's th- three main. There's four left. Four Snake Eyes joins them. Yeah. If you want to count the Ninja Masters, that's at least Rizza. I, I do not count Rizza. Do not count Rizza? No. I don't know. That seems like a lot for kids to keep track of. Like, I don't even know who he was. Was he, like, Snake Eyes' new master? BFF? Yeah. Is he, like, leader of the ninja clan or something? I, I don't know at all. Yeah, uh, either. So, I, as far as I'm concerned, you could have you could remove him from the movie and it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, you'll screw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you really did not like this movie. Man, like... Ah. Okay, okay. Let, let's at least talk about some of the action because there are people out there that are praising at least some of the action. You didn't, you did not like the battle on Ninja Mountain. I'll give it to them. I've kind of seen the same sh- in the show Ka from Cirque du Soleil, but you know. But have you ever seen it on the big screen? On CGI. Did that involve ninjas with swords? It did actually. Oh. <laughs> Should I send you the clip? <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll put the clip in the show. Because I actually, <laughs> a friend of mine joked about it. It's like, oh man, this is like Cirque du Soleil. And I was like, I know what you're talking about. Actually, which show and what scene? I, I mean, I like that scene. I, and I actually thought that up and up through that scene, the action was very well directed and very well choreographed. The camera movements were nice. The editing was solid. I could follow what was happening in all of the action scenes. I was like, all right, John Chu, I I, I like how you're directing action. You know, the script might not be the best, but I'm on board for your action. And then in the second half, suddenly most of it I found completely incomprehensible. And, And just with all the cutting, I couldn't keep track of who was where and what was going on, it was very disorienting. So I don't know what happened, but oh, you know, between action scenes. But for some reason, the action in the first half of this movie is way better than the action in the second half. It just seems kind of anticlimactic how everything ends up panning out. It's like, oh, just one gets popped there, one gets popped there, one gets popped there. Cobra Commander gets away. Like you know, there's going to be a third one. Probably. And they didn't. They didn't answer Destro. He just kind of gets like it's assumed that he burnt that he's burned alive in the you know five hundred feet underneath Berlin, but we totally know he's coming back and with revenge for Cobra. Let's talk about this prison thing because again, the first half of this movie, I'm mostly on board, including this prison escape sequence. I found the idea that these people would be locked in these cryogenic tubes but be fully aware of what was going on around them. I found that to be a terrifying idea. <laughs> oh, you bought it, did you? I was like, whoa, that's a that's a fate worse than death right there. And and also the warden of this prison is played by Walton Goggins, who I love in everything <laughs> he's in. Yeah. Great actor. 
He was fun. Always fun to watch. And then, you know, Storm Shadow busts everyone out. Uh, he gets burned, which I wasn't expecting. And yeah, yeah I thought it, that overall it was a really well done sequence. And then I realized, wait, they're just leaving Destro. Like, I think Destro was in the first movie, which is one of the many reasons the first movie was terrible. Like, there were so many villains and, like, so many different parties involved. I guess they realized, hey, maybe we should just limit the villains to Cobra Commander and Zardan having their little thing to yeah. keep things simple. It was probably a good decision, but at the same time, I was kind of like, he's there. You're not going to use him? What's going on? I guess... I guess you're right, and they're waiting for the sequel. Oh, he's coming back. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's gonna be he's gonna be extra upset because he got left behind in that tube. No, I'm telling you, it's gonna be like a revenge for Cobra. Yes, and and now it's like it, it, you gotta you gotta imagine now he doesn't even have people to watch. You know, mm -hmm. at least before there were scientists to watch and you could sort of hear what they were talking about when you were mm -hmm. trapped in, inside your own head. Yeah. But now everyone's dead. <laughs> He's got nothing to look at. Poor guy. Yeah. Things start to go off the rails a little bit with the Storm Shadow twist, which we've already talked about. And then I cannot decide if the ending to this movie is amazing or really terrible. I'm I'm of two minds about it. I get the impression you think it was terrible. Yeah. On the one hand, I sort of like this overall plan of how Zardan masquerading as the president, of how he's going to get everyone to disarm. Yeah. No, that's a really genius plan. Yes, and how he gets everyone to fire their nukes. And then to destroy. Because apparently they are w the worst world leaders. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> they are actually worse than the ones we have in power now. Yes. Which is a really frightening reality. Like, this plan makes several assumptions about how people will behave, and they all turn mm -hmm. out to be correct assumptions. Like, yeah. it basically launches all of the U.S.'s nukes, assuming mm -hmm. that they will respond in kind, which they do. And he he assumes that they aren't just going to launch nuclear missiles. They're going to launch all of their nuclear missiles. Like, every yeah, single one. Yeah, no one has one. reserves. Right. Like, in order for this plan to succeed, there can be no nuclear missiles left on Earth that someone might be able to fire at Zeus or whatever the name of his super weapon is. Yeah, no, like pretty for, genius. For whatever reason, all the world's superpowers decide to launch all of their nukes. At the same time. At the same time. Because if you want to end the world, please be first. Yes. I mean, you might as well go all out if you're going to have nuclear war. And then Zardan makes the U.S. missiles self-destruct. So everyone else has to self-destruct their missiles or they're just going to be the jerks that blew up the planet. Yeah. And no one wants to be that guy. Like, even North Korea eventually is kind of like, uh, I guess I don't want to be that And person. they make a North Korea joke. Can we point out how... My, my thing is, like, so the original G.I. Joes were done in the 80s. So there were, like, a lot of communist baddies and things like that, all from the Far East and Russia. And so now we've updated a bit. To where the first mission is, what, in Pakistan? Yes, but, be but actually before that, before the credits, really, the sort of the real oh, thing Korea. at yeah. the end, they're actually at the demilitarized zone. Yeah. Like, 
North Korea has become the go-to bad guy. Yes. Red Dawn, too. I mentioned in part one, I just saw Olympus Has Fallen last week. North Koreans, yeah. they're like, they're so evil now. They're the, they're, they're, they've like replaced Nazis as the most evil thing we can think of. Which is really unfortunate when you think about it, because all they really need is a reason to hate us. Right. And we're just making all these big, huge, epic movies about how much we hate them. This is going to go over really well. Right, so now all Kim Jong-un has to do is pull out a copy of Olympus Has Fallen or Red Dawn and be like, you see, they do hate us. This is actually a, a plan of action. <laughs> <laughs> They've laid it out and they give us great success rate. Like, it's it's dumb. But anyway, so Zardan's plan works. And then he basically has this huge super weapon that nobody else noticed being built, mm -hmm. apparently, that he can use to completely destroy the world, essentially, unless they swear allegiance. So, basically, he just wants to rule the world. The problem with this movie is that, on the one hand, it's G.I. Joe, it's a comic, mm -hmm. it's campy, it's cartoony, on the other hand... England dies. Yeah. Like they're like they wipe England the sacrifice. off the map. Because I know when I'm going to show off my superpowers, I'm going to beat up the former British Empire. Right. The other thing is that because this is a PG-13 movie, everything is bloodless. Everything's bloodless. Yeah. Channing Tatum explosion does not actually explode any part of him. Right. Right. Did you notice? Yeah. Like it's it's very well edited so that there's you actually never really see the consequences of a lot of this violence in a meaningful way. Even when they blow up London, all you see is just this wide shot of the city collapsing, basically. Yeah. They're not going to take you down to the street level and show people in the streets screaming as buildings fall down or anything like that. No, it's, everything's instant. Although it's a nice, cool little wave effect. Right. Anything other than that maybe could get an R rating. Because, again, yeah. we're talking about the total annihilation of an entire country. You sank my battleship. Yeah, he, he sank your continent, just about. <laughs> just an island. <laughs> yeah. So you, you're terrible at pop culture and you're terrible at geography. <laughs> Shut up. You suck at Jeopardy. Well, whatever. All the continents were next, okay? <laughs> oh, okay. Doesn't matter. There were more than one on a few of those, but that's okay. Also, I think there was only, what, maybe six or seven world leaders there? Am I right? Yeah. I feel like the UN is a little bigger, but no one that kids would understand or remember. I guess th this was only the countries that have nuclear weapons, right? So I guess. That's So true. it was like Russia. Where's Iran? Were they there? <laughs> no. It was Israel, France, Great Britain, India, China, and North Korea. Russia? And Russia. Okay. So they're red, white, and blue. Yeah, so that's yeah. like eight countries. Yeah. Yeah, on the one hand, I was like, this is kind of cool that the stakes are actually so high. You know, a lot of movies, the threat of nuclear war will be there, but... The hero will always show up to save the day before the nuclear bomb goes off. But in this movie, we actually get to see all of the world's superpowers launching nuclear weapons at each other. And then we yeah. actually get to see an entire country get destroyed. To its credit, I actually like how this movie has some very high stakes. The problem is that doesn't quite mesh with G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, again, am I supposed to take this as a fun, goofy movie, possibly for kids? Or am I supposed to take this as a cool, gritty, PG-13 action movie? Yeah. And the movie can't quite decide what it wants to be. Yeah. It's maybe intense enough to give kids nightmares. Probably. Maybe. Prob- I-, I would say so. I mean, I-, I-, I think it was way more intense than Jack the Giant Slayer, which you and I have talked about extensively. Yeah. I-, I think if you're going to take your kids to see a PG-13 movie, take them to see Jack the Giant Slayer over this. No question. Because at least it's magical. At least it's magical, yeah. <laughs> the other question I have about this plot is, does Zardan really need to be president for this plan to work? He needs to lure everyone into his siren song in order to launch all the nukes at the same time. I, I mean, I mean, I understand that he needs the world to be disarmed so they cannot fire back when he finally unveils the Zeus project. But if he has Zeus, couldn't he just position the satellites or whatever over the countries? And then just say, oh, by the way, here I am. You know, I could blow up all your countries. If you fire a nuclear missile at me, I will do it or something. I mean, mean, does he really need to be president? I don't think so. And yet, again, because that's how the first film left off, Mm -hmm. they have to continue that. Sure. So it doesn't make sense. But considering what they had to work off of, I guess they do an okay job of incorporating (laughs) that. Yeah. Can I share my favorite scene? Yes. And I mean it ironically. I like the part where Lady J was talking about how, like, her dad was a fourth generation military man and that he really wanted a fifth generation. And the guy was like, oh, man, why not you? And she was like... Oh, he doesn't believe in female soldiers. And I enlisted the next day. And he's like this sob story of how like she's fighting discrimination. And he's watching her like change. (laughs) Right. That is a good point. (laughs) That's my favorite thing I've ever seen so far. (laughs) Like all the sexism and naked titties in (laughs) Ring Breakers did not equal... (laughs) The creepazoid factor <laughs> in this one moment. But Monica, he's a man and she's a woman, and they were in the and same I'm room sure together. And I'm sure he feels she had to really change. sorry for her. Yeah. Why wouldn't you look? Especially since you like fight alongside each other and they're like you know supposed to be brothers in arms. Hey, their entire unit was wiped out. I mean, he's had a really bad day. What are you? Are you doing the last man defense? <laughs> If I was the last man on earth, would you sleep with I'm me? I'm not giving the last man defense. I'm just saying, they, you know, to be fair, he didn't look. He just caught a bit of her reflection in, in the mirror. Oh, no, he watched the whole damn thing. Like, she turned around, and that's when he turned around. Okay. Because he was going to get his ass caught. Okay, that is that is a good <laughs> point. And actually, now that you bring that up, it, it did sort of strike me as odd that pretty much whenever... Lady J has to contribute to the mission. Most of the time, it involves her acting sexy. Yeah, and going in disguise. Yes. Because people don't suspect her. Right. And she will try to seduce these 
men into situations where, uh, you know, she can find out some information or something. Yeah, the like senator got, or the secretary of defense when she has her little joggy suit. Right. She gets close to the president in a sexy little red dress. But that's because she's an empowered woman, Monica, and she's using her body to her benefit. Okay. She's manipulating these weak-minded men. No? I I can't even. <laughs> We're not even going to talk about those feminist issues? Really? Really? <laughs> like, I've heard the whole spy thing. Like, that's how a lot of women's female spies were able to get in some, some co- really covert situations because men wouldn't suspect them of being on the opposite side. Well, no. You, okay, you, you brought up the gender... Like, it's a legitimate spy point or whatever. You brought up the gender issues thing. I'm just saying, are there not strands of feminism that argue if a woman is to be empowered, she must control her body, you know, become comfortable with her sexuality, and use that to her advantage. If that is her choice, she does kind of make a reference to it that how come I'm always in the high heels or so. Okay, fair enough. She does make that reference. It's like, how come I always have to? Because Channing Tatum's not around. Because The Rock can't fit in those shoes, sweetie. (laughs) Exactly. And the whole Bruce Willis calling her a Girl Scout and secretary... But then, you know, he does salute her at the end. Okay, okay. Of course they were going to bring that back. Like, as soon as she gave that that story about her father, I was like, oh, great. And now someone's going to salute her at the end. Yeah. But you were just talking about control of body. Part of that is also safety. Right. So the whole voyeuristic peeping Tom thing, I was just, like, not having it. But he would never hurt her because he's an American G.I. Joe. Yo, perverts sometimes don't hurt. They still perverts. <laughs> yeah, th- that's like the uh, Gaspar Noé version of GI Joe. You're talking about. <laughs> that's the Lars La- Lars von Trier's GI Joe. <laughs> and when she goes out into the field and strips herself naked in the moonlight. Yes, yes. Or that's the uh, Kirby Dick version of GI Joe. Ah, uh, you know what? We should devote some airtime to that because I feel like that's the PSA that. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good point. G.I.A. Joe should actually put some money towards uh, the Invisible War because they were totally robbed at the Oscars, as was uh, How to Survive a Plague. Either of those were like my top contenders, and that Sugarman took it. Yeah, actually, if you're listening to, to this right now, I know Monica and I are being light and glib about this, but you really should go see The Invisible War. Yeah, f- G.I. Joe. Go see The Invisible War. Yes, because Bring tissues. rape in the military is actually a very serious issue, a very yeah. serious problem. And it's perfectly captured in that awful moment. <laughs> that is like the the kiddie version of horrible patriarchy in the military and abuse. I still think you're taking it a little bit too far, but I will concede and say, okay. Inappropriate. Perhaps inappropriate. If I, if my coworker, if my coworker, like, okay, should I even do this example? I'm, I'm a ballroom dancer. Like, I, I am a teacher. One of my other co-teachers had a change in the same changing room as I did. We turn around. We don't check. That's gross. I don't check. I don't check. It's like a respect thing. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. He obviously doesn't have that respect for her. I will say this, though. I can see how in another movie that scene would be okay, but I, I will acknowledge that it does not work in the context of this film, not only because it's kind of a kid's movie, sort of, but also because there's no development of that at all. 
Like, at no point is there any other sign of sexual tension between the two of them. I don't think she's interested in him. Right. That's not hinted. Like, I could see there being another draft of the script where he's checking her out, she's kind of checking him out, there's some sexual tension, and then they wind up together. But that does not happen in the movie. So, yes, I will concede that that moment really doesn't serve much of a purpose beyond just titillating the audience. Thank you. Even though it's hard to be very titillated by a blurry reflection. That whole moment, that whole scene was just very odd. Just dumb. This was written by a 13-year-old id. Could be. (laughs) This was some screenwriter. Wait, I'm going to look up the name now. Now that I'm going to name drop him, I'll I'll do it right. You can continue talking. I'm going to look up his name. (laughs) But see, again, maybe this movie, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, this movie is intended for 13-year-olds. This is supposed to be for for young teenagers who are going to be like, whoa, explosions, whoa, ninja swords, whoa. But at the same time, it doesn't go full camp. It doesn't. It doesn't just go full-blown blind Riza all the time you know it decides well we need to kill off millions of people mm-hmm. so one is paul warnick and the other is rhett reese okay you guys if you're listening you're on monica's list oh that's really unfortunate apparently he was a writer for monsters incorporated and dinosaur so kids movies awesome <laughs> i want that guy writing my kids' movies. Although this was an early gig for him, so he might have, you know, decided to go full third. Well, or maybe, maybe he, maybe this writer that you're talking about now, maybe he wasn't the one that put in that scene. Maybe he handled more of the campier, kiddier stuff. Maybe. And then the other guy who did Zombieland, and he's mostly a producer apparently, but has served as a writer for Twelve Things. Yeah. I love IMDb. Yeah, he wrote and produced Zombieland. Okay. We can both agree that that moment wasn't necessary. We can both agree that there are major plot problems with this movie. The difference is I still managed to have fun, at least a little bit of fun. You did not. No. Okay. Are you planning to get retaliation on this movie? (laughs) I'm a pacifist, man. I don't believe in retaliation. Okay, that reminds me. I was going to do something completely different, but now we need to get into Reboot This. And I was going to... Okay. Because I have nothing to add. (laughs) All right. Let's do Reboot This. Reboot This, if you haven't heard, is is a segment... I used to do on the show a long time ago, and we're trying to bring it back now. What happens in Reboot This is, Monica, you and I will pitch either a prequel, a sequel, or a remake of the movie we just talked about. So I'm going to ask you to go first. If you had to write a prequel, a sequel, or a remake to G.I. Joe Retaliation, what would you choose, and what would be the basic plot? I'd choose to not do it. Oh, come on. That's a cop-out. Just say no. Okay, Monica. Some guy in Hollywood comes along and says, I will give you an unlimited budget, and I will pay you... A bajillion dollars. I will pay you $10 million (laughs) if you write and direct another G.I. Joe movie. Oh, I would producers that shit. 
Okay, and what would your <laughs> advice, what would your script doctrine consist of? Oh, uh, that'd be funny if, I don't know, <laughs> being that I just said pacifist, would be funny if there was a pacifist on the team. Like, he was just like, nah, man, this, this thing is wrong, and just, like, quits. But then that's the team member that really is needed in this moment that happens. Cobra Commander comes back with Destro, obviously, because he freaking survives. It'd be another sequel. It'd be awful. And then I'd take the money. <laughs> okay, so when you're, so you would make a sequel in which... Awful, awful sequel. You would make an awful sequel. And hopefully it would teach these people that there are some original stories out there that deserve money, love, and attention. Give it to them. On the other hand, though, <laughs> if, if this movie was terrible, wouldn't people walk away and be like, man, that pacifist stuff was really dumb. You could be shooting yourself in the foot here. No one would watch it. It would be like the Oogie Loves. <laughs> It'd be a pacifist G.I. Joe. I don't think you got that premise. <laughs> okay, here's my pitch. I've got two pitches for you. The first pitch is, okay, I say we do a sequel where it turns out Duke, played by Channing Tatum, is still alive. Knew it. And the whole movie is him babysitting The Rock's kids and having to go on some crazy G.I. Joe mission with these kids and their karaoke machine involved. It would be like The Pacifier or a million other movies in which adults have to supervise. Yeah, which The Rock started and, and, and <laughs> you know, in which there are adults having to take care of kids. Daddy daycare. The difference is this time it's Channing Tatum and he's G.I. Joe. He's he's like the leader of G.I. Joe. Yeah. And the kids are like suddenly he has to drag them along while he's preventing nuclear war. I hate when that happens. That is my first pitch. Okay. Second pitch, I'm thinking like you were thinking. Your comment got me thinking, okay, what if there was pacifist G.I. Joe? I'm thinking G.I. Joe 3, the president is so shaken by what mm -hmm. happened to him in G.I. Joe retaliation that now that he's back in power, he says, we are going to pursue nonviolence as our top priority. And our number one response in all situ situations. But didn't you just see that military action is good and inaction is bad? This is why the third J.I. Joe movie would be awesome, because The Rock would have to figure out how to stop Cobra non-violently, okay? They are going to stage a massive sit-in. <laughs> and you thought my idea was silly. <laughs> We had to teach people how to do a proper sit-in walkouts. I'm not saying that fans will be satisfied. I am saying <laughs> it will probably be a much more interesting film. Guys, we are going to march in the middle of the street without a police permit. Hold hands. We will probably be arrested. Okay, okay, fine, fine. There can be <laughs> violence, but they can only fire rubber bullets. Man, even Bloomberg arms the police better than that. <laughs> just like, oh, no, 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 it's the San Diego, was it San Diego? The San Diego cop who pepper sprayed just a bunch of students sitting down on the ground. It'll be called G.I. Joe, The Quest for Peace, and it'll involve them using non-lethal means to achieve their goals. And then at the end, they'll save the day and everyone will disarm because they realize that, you know what, we don't need these nuclear weapons. We don't need all these guns. Let's just live in harmony like the Beatles want us to. We can sit together at the same luncheon counter. Yeah, we can sit together at the same counter. 
all you need is love. Okay, the Joes and Cobra need to realize. I hope that they all hug it out. Love. Yes, and then that's how it'll end. It'll end <laughs> with it will end Hugs. with the Rock and Cobra Commander hugging it out. The end. Can Channing Tatum get in that? I want him yes, to get in that. Yes, Channing Tatum can be there. Yes. Boom! Perfect movie for kids. Okay. There we and go. We've just redeemed the entire trilogy, and we teach him how to resolve conflict without violent means. Yes. Perfect. We we'll solve bullying in one hour and a half minute. Oh man, I would I would love it so if a serious action movie ended with it hu- <laughs> with with hugs. Oh man, wasn't Top Gun like a high five? Close enough. Well, yeah, but that's after they blew up all the MIGs or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Like they should have just figured out a way to hug those enemy pilots. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You just gotta talk it out. Hug it out. Yeah. Hug it out. All right, I think that'll wrap it up for part two <laughs> of our discussion of G.I. Joe Retaliation here on Cinema Fix. Don't get to tune in next week when we'll be discussing Evil Dead. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. Write in and let us know if you had to make a prequel, sequel, or a remake to G.I. Joe Retaliation, what would it involve? And also, let us know uh, what you thought of our pitches, if you think they, they were actually good or if they were terrible. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online at the Twitter website at mcastingmovies that's m-c-a-s-t-i movies they can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com I'm Andrew Johnson you can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com you can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew if you do follow me be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener and I will follow you back that'll wrap it up for this episode I'm Andrew Johnson I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. Give lots of hugs. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.